everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be talking to Teresa of Loving Paws Animal Center, which is an organization dedicated to at-risk homeless felines. They provide top-notch medical care in both temporary and lifelong programs to kitties in need. Let's get started. Hi, Teresa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Super great. (laughs) How are you, Sydney? I'm doing good. Good. Well, so we're super excited to learn about Loving Paws Animal Center here. So usually we just kind of roll the clock back and start at the beginning. So how did you, Teresa, first get into animal welfare? Well, I started probably pretty young. I have always had an interest in the little scaredy cats. So on my way home from school or even to school, I would walk as much as I could so that I could see the animals that would just be wandering on the sidewalk or huddling against someone's house. And I would always try to get it to come to me. So sweet. I love that. I feel like so many of us too have like just started taking up walking a lot during the past (laughs) few months. And I, I've gotten to know all the neighborhood cats. I feel like there are some that'll just follow me on my walk for a little bit. It's, it's a fun little game. Although sometimes I'm like, go home, (laughs) (laughs) go home. Your mom's going to worry about you. So that's wonderful. And I love that it was in your blood from there. How did you, how did you first start Loving Paws then? Um, Well, I, again, I would just see the little stray animals. I'm typically more drawn to the feral cats, the ones that are very scared of humans. And I just, would try to befriend them. And I would constantly bring food and I would start with certain cat toys to try to get them interested in interacting. And I would do that out in the fields. I would do that by someone's house. And then I came across a little kitten named Little Man and he was in a cornfield behind my home. And that's really when Loving Paws came to mind I just started creating the idea of what I needed it to be to continue helping more animals. That's so sweet. Oh my gosh. It's it's so funny too how, I mean, I feel like rescue is in a lot of people's blood. It's something they just can't deny, but a lot of times they just need one animal to kind of push them over the edge and be like, okay, let's let's do this for real. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So now... It says here that you are, what states are you out of? It says here you have two locations. Is that? No, I actually am in Indiana. So I'm in Battleground, Indiana. And we do all of Indiana. And we do extend services to help cats that are in other states. We will do fundraising for them to help pay for surgeries. Anything that's kind of a critical case. That's what we do here, and that's what we will extend to families that are needing some extra help. That's so wonderful. And I mean, I love your heart for feral cats because I know 
I mean, people will see a feral cat and it's hard sometimes to really empathize in the same way as like a sad puppy dog that's like just Mm -hmm. begging for love. But certainly they deserve and need our love as well. And I mean, that's that's just such a wonderful mission and the fact that you are even willing to reach out to other states to help. That's incredible. Thank you. Well, so now how have things been going over the past few months? Well, our donations have decreased tremendously. We were doing really good until the very beginning of March, and then things pretty much stopped for a few months. We had contemplated on shutting down early summer, and then we decided that we were going to try some other fundraising ideas, which helped get us through a couple of months. And then we just continued to try to find some virtual things that we could do that maybe some supporters would be interested in. Again, that would help for about a month. And then Danette from Cuddly contacted me and you guys have been a lifesaver. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. I mean, and Danette's wonderful. We love her so much. She is. I mean, out of curiosity, what other fundraising efforts did you try? We tried doing some virtual walk for paws type events. We tried t-shirt fundraisers. We tried we had a couple of businesses that were willing to do some selling of gift baskets, just trying to raise any penny we could anywhere. We tried some online pound classes with one of my board members, just anything and everything, trying to social dis- distance and try to connect with people and keep money coming in for the animals and that was about the extent of that. I mean, we were pretty limited. I mean, it sounds like you tried so many things that, that so many other rescues try too. And it does feel a bit like, I mean, I know certainly I'm sure every time you made like a shirt sale, you everyone was probably like jumping up and down. And, yeah. <laughs> but that's really hard to actually make a sustainable, like substantial endeavor with with those funds that come in. So, I mean, I totally... I think a lot of rescues can understand where you're coming from and understand like, yeah, we tried that too. And it just didn't do what we needed it to do. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all failed. I, I do want to ask because donations were done, did you see like an increase or an influx in like fosters or adop- like on the other end of it? Did you see any increase in those? No, everything was pretty much at a standstill. And because we are more of a feral at risk, rescue. Not everybody has experience taking care of fiddle cats of all ages, bottle babies. Most of our kitties are very sick and require extensive medical treatment and supportive care. So fosters for those kitties are very slim. Definitely. And think about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is so hard. And I mean, even if they weren't exclusively like feral, I know even it feels like some cat rescues have, have a bit of a harder time than, than maybe some like dog rescues or, or yeah. more varied. So, I mean, as a cat lover myself, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's hard to imagine people wouldn't see that and jump to your aid. But, mm-hmm. but I think too, it, it is one, well, it sounds too like from from people we've spoken with, there are just some pockets too that are 
in more like the central United States that had a harder time with COVID and everything going on with it. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's just like a, I don't know, population issue or what's going right. on there, but it's, it, it feels like there are some places that just weren't able to take advantage of this time in the ways that other organizations were able to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, are you partnered with other rescues around you that were experiencing the same thing or were you able to kind of facilitate some sort of situation where you're able to partner and, and meet a need that way? We kind of do that anyway. We help certain places as much as we can. Sometimes we get a lot of food donations just through the pet stores and through the community. And a lot of times it's stuff that we don't personally use for the cats here. We get dog donations as well. So we disperse those throughout many of the other rescues and shelters here, as well as the pet food advocates. That's great. It's incredible. Love when people band together for the animals, for sure. I mean, since we have you here and it sounds like you've just been, yeah, you've had this amazing heart for these feral cats for so long. I'm wondering if you maybe demystify a bit of what, what life of a feral cat looks like. Because I know, I mean, it's hard when, when a cat has like a fur standing on end and claws coming at you to be like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if you have some, some little tips about what it's like for a feral cat and, and why people should um, take time to maybe donate to the cause or, or support in whatever way they can. Well, first, let me just say that feral cats are extraordinary creatures. And I believe that they are one of the most resilient animals. And if you are willing to give them time, love, and respect, and you go on their terms, you're bound to make a friend. I've been working with feral cats for over 18 years. And I think the thing that people miss is cats, even if they are a cuddly kitty, everything is still on their terms. So when you get a feral cat, it's not just about approaching it and assuming that you're going to get close or you're going to be able to touch. It's all about being patient and changing your tone of voice, your body language, and allowing them to come to you. And it may be feet away, it may be yards away, but every step is progress. How amazing though, too, to like gain an animal's trust that way with a dog or with other animals, they kind of just come to you. It's, it's almost as if you expect that kind of affection or you expect that kind of response. But I can only imagine just how almost satisfying and, and, and just heartwarming it is to sit there and work with a cat who's not necessarily the friendliest or the most trusting or things like that and have them trust you enough to get close to you, especially with feral cats who are already super unsocialized, super not okay with human interaction. To, to earn that trust has to be something incredible. It's very incredible. One of the most rewarding feelings in the world. We deal with about 95% of feral cats. So we don't get a lot of the little sweet, cuddly, they want to snuggle kitty. We are set up to take in feral cats. We have particular cages set up the way that we know that they need them to be. We have our bite gloves. Not that I use them. I actually use a back scratcher to test their temperament. The gloves are very, very intimidating to them. 
I use certain types of foods, more human foods than I do cat foods because it's not something they would typically get a smell of when they're out in the fields and roaming the streets. And I have certain types of toys that I use. And I have certain medications that I use. You know, a lot of these guys, like I said, they're sick. So you have to think outside of the box on how you're going to treat their medical illnesses to where they are comfortable and also to where you are keeping yourself safe. Absolutely. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like you definitely have to have a lot of experience to work with feral cats. So I I do wonder if anyone out there does find a feral cat or they're wanting to get help for a feral cat, what should they do if they're not experienced enough to do those sorts of things? Um, Well, trapping is the best way. It's the safest for the cat and it's safest for humans. It's also the safest for the vet. So making sure that you have a trap aligned with either a puppy pad, a lightweight pillowcase or towel or something so that they're not just paws on the metal and also keep the cage or the trap covered. And usually what I do is I have a little piece of a paper plate. I cut a paper plate in four and I put just a little bit of cat food on there. Hard food really is the best. Of course, they are more drawn to canned food, but I also line the trap on the inside with a little bit of catnip. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what an incredible thing too. I mean, it just, I I know with these feral cats too, I mean, so many people just see them for for their temperament. Mm And really, it, it's, it is an incredible thing to see that their temperament is really just reflecting their natural desire to like survive and to really like find a way to live their lives in, in, in this really kind of like hard, in, in our case, I know our community cats are like trying to survive in a very urban environment, which can be extremely difficult for a cat. So, I mean, it's so wonderful that they've got an advocate like you that's, that's willing to sit there and to, and to take the time to win over their trust and, and do what you can to help them as far as their medical needs as well. Because I feel like, and I've heard this a few times, I mean, community cats, feral cats, they tend to live a little bit shorter lives than, than a typical domestic cat, right? Well, it really depends. Cats that have caretakers that are dedicated to them and they have been to the vet, they're spayed and neutered, they have their vaccines. When they have a caretaker who is willing to make sure they have fresh food and water and a safe shelter that is able to keep them warm and even shelter to keep them out of the sun, they are bound to live longer, even though they are afraid of humans. They want nothing more than human contact. And that's where people don't really understand. We take in about 95% of ferals, like I had mentioned. And about 90% of those feral cats are adoptable by the time I'm done with them. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It really is up to you how you want to socialize and rehabilitate a feral cat. Can we do that with all of them? No. Are we willing to try? Absolutely. We will do it with a newborn. We will do it with 16-year-old cats. They all deserve to have the best life, whether they choose to be outdoors 
or you are able to get them inside where they're safe. I'm wondering if you have a story of maybe one of these cats and, and where you found them and how their life was transformed by the work that you did with them. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I actually drove nine and a half hours to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And I went to UPAS, which is the Humane Society there. And I picked up four 14-year-old siblings. They were all boys. And I took them because nobody was willing to even go into the room that they were in because they were free roaming. They were all very under-socialized. A couple of them were definitely 100% feral. And I swooped them up and drove nine and a half hours back home and had my entire upstairs living area set up specifically for them and their needs. Mind you, they were seniors. And they still went to the vet. I was able to shave one of the cats that had very matted fur after gaining a little bit of trust. I was able to snuggle three of the four of them. They were never adopted out because I knew that they didn't have long lives. One was only with us for a month and a half. And before he left, he knew what it was like to be held in my arms. And the same goes for the other two. The one, he just was very timid. And they just really had never had that human contact, even though they were in a home. They were in a home to have motion in the house, not to be pets. So they did not have that human-cat interaction. They didn't know what it was like to be touched, to have treats. Uh, A lot of times they didn't get cat food. They would drink out of the toilet bowl when the lid was open. They were just in really rough shape, and they lived that for 14 years until we took them in, and they lived in luxury. That's incredible. I love that. I mean, I I love that because, I mean, we love seniors, first of all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like there's something very special about the temperament of a senior in general. And of course, that's different from animal to animal. But I mean, for us to just being able to come in and be like, we know we couldn't step in earlier, Mm -hmm. but we're going to give you as much as we possibly can in this moment is, I feel like, such a special gift to be able to give them. That's so sweet that you were able to give them that gem towards the end of their lives. For my family, we have a feral cat in our in our home, in one of my family members' homes. And it is kind of an interesting thing because this feral cat never necessarily um, became like a, a traditional pet per se, kind of like a, ends up being like a, the leader of the house. And just sort of like, it doesn't want to really cuddle, but we'll sit there and watch everyone and just kind of like oversee everything going on. Um, so yeah. Love, still very much loved and almost like has become like its own personality in in like the, I don't know, pack of cats that are there. (laughs) It's so wonderful to be able to, to be a part of that though, for sure. So beyond that, I mean, so are are you entirely foster based or, or is there a facility that, I mean, because you're saying that you're taking in these feral cats and is it typically just for a time and then they're re-released to like a barn environment or... What we do is with the TNR program that we do, we do assist counties and other areas that lack resources. So 
if they end up being fixed and, and vaccinated and they can be released within 72 hours, we definitely will do that and make sure they have a caretaker. Those that are trapped and are sick, they stay in our care until they are rehabilitated. And if I feel like I have a chance with them, they don't go back outside. Now, we've had a couple situations where they have done very well and then they revert mm -hmm. and then they come back and they do very well and then they revert. I knew right from the beginning I was going to be a temporary and lifelong rescue for homeless cats. So we do provide both temporary and lifelong care to them. I would say about 90, 85, 90% of the cats do not go back outside. We do get a lot of kittens that are severely ill, some that are being hospitalized for six weeks. And we just keep working with them. And if for some reason they have just gotten used to being indoors and we know that they cannot fend for themselves being outside, they remain with us. We are 100% foster based currently. We are beyond full. I personally take care of anywhere between 35 and 50 cats myself in my home. I am looking to have a facility. Again, it needs to be very specific. That is what we are fundraising for this Giving Tuesday is to secure a property. So yeah, we have a few fosters. They typically take the easier cases and I take all the very difficult ones. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I mean, the devotion and, and uh, I mean, I, I can only imagine like the wealth of knowledge too, that you have after all these years. I, I mean, since you began to where we are now, do you feel like things have really changed as far as like people's behavior around cats in general or feral cats specifically? Cause I know, I feel like TNR has become a bit of a, a hotter, a hotter thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. TNR definitely has helped drastically in all communities. Do I think that it has helped humans see ferals differently? I would say yes, kind of. There are a lot of people who just don't understand and they want the cats removed because they are a nuisance and they are feared that they are going to get hurt by the cat. Rarely are you going to be attacked by a feral cat. Typically, they are going to run. If you are trying to grab the cat, you might get some, some scratches, maybe a few bite wounds. But again, it's all about respect. We all have boundaries, humans and animals, and they deserve to have their boundaries respected. I just think that if people would see them for who they really are, they're in my mind, really no different than that cuddly kitty sleeping on your couch right now. They didn't get that opportunity. And humans are those that have failed them. It's not the cat's fault they exist. It's not their fault that they are on your property. It's not their fault that they're starving and get in your trash or trying to dig in underneath your home because they're cold or they're trying to get out of the heat. Be kind. I mean, if you can provide them daily essentials, you will be surprised at how much they change too. That's such a wonderful message. And 
I think something that we all, we all can practice a little bit more strongly. (laughs) So that's, it's just such a wonderful thing. So with that many cats in your home, I'm wondering, do you have personal cats or did you have um, any other animals? I'm good at not being a foster failure. Um, And I think think the reason why is because some of these guys are lifelong residents. And so they're going to forever be with me until they take their last breath. But they're medical kitties. So can I provide for them on my own? by adopting them? No, they are quite expensive. So I keep my limit to my three. I have three family cats. They are all rescues. They were all feral to begin with. And I love them just as much as I love all the rescue babies. I just, but I cannot be a foster failure or I'm a horrible rescuer. Yes. I mean, and it is, it is pretty satisfying to be that foster and to see them move on to like an amazing life where they're cherished and in such a special way. I can, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but also it's good that you have your limit with your, just your three. Yeah. <laughs> you have to limit yourself or you're never going to let them go. I mean, I look at each one of them. I cry about every single one of them. I cry when I get them. I cry when I trap them. No matter how I get them, I cry because they usually come to me in terrible condition. Some of them are pretty much on their deathbed and I fight really hard for them. I don't mean to frustrate people um, with seeking donations, but they deserve to have someone fight for them. And when it comes to the point where they are now ready for adoption, I cry. And when I pick the adopter, I cry. And when I hand them over, I cry. And sometimes I cry even days, weeks, and there's been months later that I've cried just because I love them so much. And I still worry about them when they're gone. And I hope that they are receiving everything that they received here with us. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's like, it has to be so hard on you, but it's also, I think, as an adopter, what you would hope for, like that sort of love that right. your your pet received before you met them. Mm-hmm. That has to be really hard for you, though. <laughs> it's a lot of emotion. I have a lot of emotion in me. Yep. It sounds like you're also very strong, though. So that's... Yes. They're so lucky to have, have that as uh, someone that has that balance going in there. So as far as your personal pets, though, we do have some kind of fun questions that we like to ask. So so you can pick whomever with these questions. And certainly if you have like a standout foster with a big personality, feel free to to use them too. So if your cat could talk, what would be the first thing they said? Get all these cats out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Oh, geez. They're like, this is my place, right? Okay. So what is the naughtiest thing your cat has done? We are very cat safety in this house. (laughs) Yeah, I would say usually when I eat, I have a cat that really enjoys getting underneath my hands when I'm holding my plate. Dogs are very happy to have the food on the floor. So that's usually... 
the worst that I would say that it gets is they like to knock the plate right out of my hand. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. When I had my last set of fosters, I would have all three of them like scaling me, trying to get whatever I'm eating. And it's like, you don't even like this. Like, (laughs) this isn't something that you enjoy. (laughs) But yes, I definitely can empathize with that. And so our last one is a little different. So if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Love yourself as much as you love your pet. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really sweet. I think people forget about themselves because they are so, especially those that really do love their animal. I think they kind of forget who they are and what they need for themselves. And so I can struggle with that sometimes. Um, I'm very dedicated to these guys and I do it 24-7. But we have to love ourselves too. And sometimes, you know, when we can see the way someone loves a pet or their pet and the way that they love themselves, it's very, very different. Definitely. And I feel like certainly rescuers too. I mean, I feel like we've come across so many people that they, everything they do for themselves, they're like, well, I could do this for myself or I could spay this many animals or I could do all these different things. And it's like, okay, but you do have to reserve a little bit, just a little bit for yourself because otherwise you're going to be burnt out. It's going to become too much. So I love that saying for sure. Mm -hmm. It's a good reminder. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Teresa, thank you so much for chatting with us shedding a little light on these sweet, well, on these wonderful animals. (laughs) Have a bit of sweetness, like a rose, right? They have thorns, but they're wonderful as well. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was so enlightening talking to Teresa today. She had so much information about feral cats and everything we don't know about them. It was so inspiring to see her heart for these animals that are a lot of times considered a nuisance or totally overlooked. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Teresa and all the work they're doing at Loving Paws Animal Center, you can check our show notes or our blog. And remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And also be sure to leave a review. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, and also be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thank you guys and have a happy holiday. <laughs>